Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. morning we're going to be in Daniel chapter 3 and we looked at chapter 2 last time chapter 2 if you didn't get it uh, just get it free on the on the website because t- 2 and 3 are inextricably linked they, they go together uh, we looked at Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter 2 and what it meant for the kingdom of Babylon now this is all history I'm not going to go through it again but I had an opening that was about five minutes long, and I talked about the four players, Judah, their kings, Egypt, uh, the Babylonians, and the Assyrians. If you go back into your history books, you'll find that everything that the Bible says is exactly an uh, exact copy of what archaeological history and, and stuff tells us. So Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He's the king of Babylon, and he is troubled. You know, he's conquering, and he's just about subdued everybody in the land. And he doesn't know what's going to become of his kingdom. So he has this dream of this metallic figure, person, different metals going down. And uh, of course, Daniel interprets the dream and tells him that after his kingdom, there'll be successive kingdoms coming in. And we know from history, right? The Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Medo-Persians, the Greeks, the Romans. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard about that. I remember that in school. Uh, So we know all this is, is actual history. And it's so cool how the Bible just intersperses what God was doing in the middle of that history. So this morning, uh, in Daniel chapter 3, we're going to look at Daniel's three friends, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, who were thrown into this fiery furnace. And, you know, they could have compromised their faith. And just because this was written some over 2,000, roughly 2,600 years ago, it actually definitely applies to us this morning. Because there's things that we deal with as people of faith and there's things that tempt us and things that try us and and we sometimes wonder and cry out to God as the psalmist often did Lord you know you hear me I'm crying I'm having a difficult time so Meshach Shadrach and Abednego were actually thrown into a literal fiery furnace but we as believers in the 21st century may not get thrown into a fiery furnace but we'll have our own fire fiery furnace so to speak in our lives where there's a, a, a opportunity to compromise our faith so that people will get off our back or we won't get hurt. The question is, do we do it? Well, we'll look at Daniel's three friends. They didn't do it, and and God honored them. So what's testing you this morning? What are you dealing with as you sit there in those seats? And and I really believe as we go through this message, you're going to be blown away by how this applies to us today in 2015. So let's jump in. In verse 1, it says, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits, and its width 6 cubits. He set it up in the plains of Dura in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, administrators, governors, counselors, treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, 
that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, in symphony, with all kinds of music, all the people, nations, languages fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. I have to get something out of my head. Because when I started studying it, this is all I could think about. How many of you have heard of Veggie Tales? You know where I'm going with this. <laughs> when my son was little, he watched it, and I ended up, I, actually, the bunny song, it's in my mind. I know the words of the bunny song. But on a kid's, a child's level, it, it, it was an animated way to take Bible stories and help young kids digest it and, un, and assimilate it and understand it. But um, in, in that one version, Rack Shack and Benny, uh, uh, Mr. Nezer <laughs> actually set up a 90-foot chocolate bunny I'm getting hungry now thinking of a big chocolate bunny. So uh, now that that's out of the way, 60 cubits is 90 feet. Let's go back to the last chapter. If you could put up image one. So in the last chapter, Nebuchadnezzar has the dream, and he sees this imposing huge figure, head of gold, chest and arms of silver, uh, belly and thighs of, of brass, legs of iron, iron mixed with clay down here. What this picture doesn't show is that this rock, this stone uncut with human hands, smashes it at the feet and the whole thing just goes into, it grounds to dust and disappears and the stone fills the whole earth. Of course, this was the successive kingdoms. Here's Babylon where Daniel is speaking and then here's the successive kingdoms and um, of course, once man's self-rule is over, uh, God is going to usher in his kingdom of righteousness, and that's reflected in the stone. It's divine. It's not cut with human hands. If we could move to the next image. So some roughly 20 years later, and I'm going to talk about the history, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar sets up this 90-foot gold image. Now, we don't know exactly what it is. We can speculate, surmise, but it was some type of image to the glory of Babylon. So Nebuchadnezzar was one of those people that heard about God and initially had a, an emotional experience, and then time went on, and he went back to his old ways. So Nebuchadnezzar is going to show God, well, listen, I'm still conquering people. I am going to last forever. And instead of the head of gold, he made the entire figure of gold. I mean, there probably was a wood or a stone base because that much gold is hard to find, but overlaid with, with gold, there were artisans who could do that, and when the sun would shine on something like this, pure gold is blinding when the sun hits it. It's actually magnificent to behold. And here's a picture of everybody bowing down to worship it so they don't get killed, and here's Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, and again, an artist representation of them refusing to bow down to this idol. What we know is that Nebuchadnezzar was trying to hold on to power, as godless men and women do. In 2015, they still do it. They might not have the power that Nebuchadnezzar has, but in their own little fiefdoms, their own little worlds, they try to hold on to power. We saw this on Wednesday nights as I've been going through 1 Kings. Even with King Solomon, who started out a good man, a devout believer, and the power just corrupted his mind. It made him stupid in the end. And this is rooted in pride. Pride and power are powerful motivators. 
they give off a euphoria, a high, to the person. It actually elicits a major dopamine response in the brain. So you, you can feed off of that power if you're not a person of faith, and you just keep going and going and going. And eventually, as the Bible says, you, you may crash and burn because it can only go so far with that self-aggrandizing type of um, attitude. But sadly, this is the third time that King Nebuchadnezzar was exposed to the true God and he has an emotional experience and he goes back to his old ways. Now, we see this today as well. Some people come forward at an altar call and it's genuine. Their lives completely turned around. And there's others that come forward and it's an emotional experience and there's no bearing of fruit for the rest of their, their days. And they may rededicate and actually may go strong at some point, but the, the fanfare and the emotional experience of it is not, it's not genuine. Another thing we may see is, and even Christians who they're praying and there's financial trouble and they're looking for this big job or career that's going to help them, and then they get it and then they're not humble anymore. They become prideful. Their whole attitude changes. Their friends change, right? Because this pride gets a hold of them. And thirdly, yet others pray for healing, and then they get healed. And some of them don't give God the glory, and they go back to their old ways, and, and as if God's not even a part of their life anymore. Ministry is an interesting thing. It can be very rewarding, but it also can be very heartbreaking and painful to watch. But historical note, the Septuagint puts this incident that we're reading about with the fall of Jerusalem, which would have taken place around 586 B.C., where the Babylonians finally come in, they're tired of the Judean kings telling them we're going to give you money, we're going to pay you tribute as a vassal. And this is, I'm mixing history in here, okay? Um, and it's funny, I was looking up some uh, secular encyclopedias and they say basically the same thing the Bible says. That was pretty, pretty fantastic. Uh, so Nebuchadnezzar finally sends his forces in to destroy the walls, to destroy the temple, to loot the gold from it and burn it down. I'm trying to put a, a, a nexus here, a connecting point. Fall of Jerusalem, he erects the 90-foot image. Probably the fall of Jerusalem was one of the last major conquests for the Babylonians. So in Nebuchadnezzar's mind, and I'm speculating here, he might have thought, nobody can beat Babylon. We are so awesome. We just destroy. We just come and we knock walls down. We slay people. We take their gold. And um, we're invincible. So now, it just, again, it goes to his head and this image is erected. This would have put Daniel and his three friends probably somewhere in their early to mid-30s. And we'll watch the progression of the ages of Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego as we go through the book, because this, this covers a long span, the book of Daniel. So, what do we have going on here if we analyze this? This is a melding of state and religion. Actually, in North Korea, their leaders are, man, they're just maddened. They're like rabid. They just love, they want to be worshipped like the old emperors. They have a, a religion, it's a state religion, a communist religion called Jush. And they, they, people are, you know, dictators are not stupid. They know how to get their subjects under their sway. Mix state with religion. And then you have something, you got a good mix. You can get people to do whatever you want. And I'm not advocating it, I'm just telling you, you know, you look at the, the um, you know, Hitler wanted to be worshipped, Mao, um, Kim, Kim Jong-un, you know, all these guys through the history. But the point was worship, the image, or die. Loyalty or death. Now this type of behavior, this is, his behavior here is a type of the Antichrist who's in our near future, by the way. 
I'm going to read Revelation 13, this idea of worship the image that represents the state-slash-religious identity or die. Revelation 13, it says in verse 14, And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast. And these are alternate words for, you know, you have your false prophet, the religious leader, and you have the Antichrist, who's the beast. There's two beasts here. They're both beasts, and that's a great word for them. Uh, And they do these uh, so-called miracles. Here's another thing, folks, and we see it today in Christianity. Watch, Watch the signs and wonders movement. Be very careful of that. Because the enemy can duplicate, not really well, but some of the things that God can. And if you're not discerning, and you're not in your word, and you don't have a relationship with the Lord, do you don't think to me that when the Antichrist comes, there'll be churches? You don't think they'll be filled? Sure they will. Okay? They'll be filled with people who don't know their Bible, who don't have a relationship with the Lord. They're just religious folks. The true believers will be taken. The Lord will remove them before this, this starts to happen, we believe. So he does these, these, these um, miracles in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. This is a mock resurrection. This political leader will come on to the scene in our near future and it'll appear that he gets killed and is resurrected. Remember, Satan always tries to copy what God does. So you, you see a lot in here as you go through it. So he's, he's wounded by the sword and, and lives, verse 13. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Okay? When you and I've gone through Revelation, it's a fascinating book. You can get that free online, but uh, it's it's an amazing thing when you are a student of the Word. This stuff really comes alive, and it makes a whole lot of sense. And when I look at our culture that worships celebrities, that worships politicians, now we just we just care what a politician says. They don't have to have any experience, okay? You know, as long as they have a swag and they, and they have a charisma. The Americans will vote for them. And I think that we're going to start to get politicians that we deserve uh, because th- this is where our country is going. God's not going to let it just keep happening. You know, it's, we live in a decadent society, if you think about it. But religion is a powerful motivator, and that's why we preach relationship. I don't want to freak anybody else, but you're a pastor. There's a pulpit. I see a cross on the building. Looks like a church. Sounds like a church. What are you saying? You're talking negative about religion. Yes, I am. When Jesus came, he didn't come to bring religion. He came to bring a relationship with the living God. Relationship is a cheap, it's a cheap imitation, I'm sorry. It's a cheap knockoff on uh, relationship. But again, Americans are so intelligent. How would we fall for this in the future? Well, Americans worship sports figures. You know, even some in the church, they know more about sports than they know about their God. They worship Hollywood celebrities. They worship mega-pastors charismatic politicians, cult leaders, and the list goes on. So what's the difference? Do you know that Jim Jones, who brought all those people to South America and made them drink the Kool-Aid, literally, with the cyanide in it, he had in his cult following doctors, lawyers, very intelligent, college-educated people. How do they follow this guy? It's not a matter of whether you're an intelligent person or not. Satan is very deceptive. Beware of his snags and his traps. So we have to take everything and put it against Scripture. Jesus in Matthew 9.36 even looked at the mountainside or the countryside. 
And so all these people walking around through life, meandering. And we would think, well, they're doing this and they're tending sheep. Jesus could see beyond this, illusor, this illusory world. He could see their hearts and their souls. And we, they would have looked at the mountainside and said, oh, they're busy doing something. Jesus looked at them and said, there is sheep with no shepherd. And that's the thing. Mankind has an affinity to worship leaders. Verse 8, we continue. Therefore, at the time the Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews, they spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace." There are certain Jews, now check this out. I love their little subtle snide. King, this is your problem. You, you remember we looked at the chapter one and chapter two. He actually started to promote Daniel and his three friends because they were righteous and they had power of God. And then again, it wore off for him. So they're promoted. The Chaldeans, who are Babylonians from really the southern area, ethnic Chaldeans, they don't like the Jews. They don't like that they're getting ahead. Uh, of the ethnic Babylonians. So he says, he says, <laughs> there are certain Jew Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. So what do we have is that they refuse to bow down to this image. And you might ask, where's Daniel? A lot of people ask that. Where's Daniel? What happened to him? He's not here. Well, if you look at chapter 2, almost like with Joseph and Pharaoh, Daniel was almost second to Nebuchadnezzar because he interpreted the dream for the king. It's quite possible that Daniel was just being an ambassador and could have been out of the country representing Babylon. And maybe that gave the Chaldeans an opportunity because they, well, I don't want to mess with Daniel, but let's, let's mess with his three friends. And again, it's speculation. But as you read into this, you can pretty much understand what's going on here. This is what we do know. It doesn't matter where Daniel was. Because the book of Daniel is not about Daniel. You might say, Pastor, have you lost your mind? <laughs> it says the book of Daniel. Who's the book of Daniel about? It's about God. And if we don't see that it's about God, we completely miss the point of the book. Again, this is what every pastor needs to do in Western culture. If you're in Eastern culture or Northern culture, they'll have to deal with the issues there. But we live in a celebrity worship type of culture. And it's bad. And it's getting into the church. So my job is to tell you that Daniel was just a tool for God. Any of us here in ministry, we're just tools for the living God. We're not grumpy about it. We're not upset about it. It's an awesome thing. Well, Lord, as long as you want to use me, I want to be used by you. So the book was about, about God, and Daniel gave him the glory that he deserved. We also know that Daniel's three friends were just as faithful, just as courageous, just as God-fearing as he was. They didn't need Daniel to be there. Oh, no, what are we going to do? Daniel's not here. You know, send a carrier pigeon. No, Daniel didn't need to be there because these guys were just as, as, as awesome in their faith as Daniel was. Now, did many of the Jews bow down and worship the image? I'm sure. Just like many in the church today, there's this even, not only is the culture in America so polarized, but the church culture. Well, we believe this. Well, we believe, and there's just fighting inside of the church. 
sometimes between denominations, sometimes within the denomination, because there's some that really want to follow God's word, and there's some that just want to do what the world's doing so it gets them off their back. Right? But there were some of the Jews, just like back then in the day, who did bow down. In that, in that picture that we had up, a lot of people bowing down and, and raising their hands towards the image. Some of them were most likely Jews. How many in Western culture today would bow down for something even less? You know? How many? Because even some in the church have this unrestrained lust and desire for the world's toys and the world's things. Satan in Matthew 4.8 confronted Jesus while he was fasting and he basically said, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Right here, look at them all. Just bow down before me, worship me, that's all I want from you. You don't have to go to the cross, I'll give you a shortcut. There's a lot of believers today taking shortcuts. Jesus didn't take a shortcut. Jesus couldn't be bought. Can we be bought? And if so, how much? For what? For what trifle thing in the world? You know, the Bible's very clear that God will make a new heavens and a new earth. And uh, Peter tells us that everything will be, will be set, a, set ablaze. Set a, you know, I don't know how exactly God's going to do it, but everything, all the world's stuff that we see, it's all going to burn. Could happen tomorrow, could happen 10 years from now. That's not for us to predict. False, false, false teachers do that. It's for us to have faith in God and, and let him worry about his timetable and let us just trust him for that timetable. Now the Chaldeans, they were, I, I would call them xenophobic. They had fear of foreigners. They didn't like what was going on. So they used this opportunity to try to destroy Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We continue, verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, so they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now if you are ready, it's like he gives them another chance. He's invested a lot into these guys, right? Human capital. It's, it'd be a shame to just burn these guys after all we put into them. Now if you are ready, at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, God's sovereignty, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, trust God unconditionally, notwithstanding the outcome. I wonder if the king deep down inside respected them, but he had a safe face. You ever see, you know, we could have a, a boss or some type of leader or district leader who's just a hothead, and they just make these cavalier, flippant decisions, and they, they don't really consider the outcome. I don't know. I, I didn't get a chance to sit down with Nebuchadnezzar and analyze him, but, you know, you can only speculate. However, what we see here and what we see in this world is these types of leaders. 
We see them in the world, and sadly enough, sometimes we see them in the church. Every once in a while, they need to flex their muscles. They need to tell everybody their position, make sure everybody understands that. Um, Jesus actually called them the Nicolaitans, and he didn't have nice things to say about the Nicolaitans. But the response of the three, whatever happens, O king, we're going to worship God. They were even respectful to him. But they basically said, when there's a conflict, and it's the same thing with us. You know, we should be good citizens. I pay my taxes. I tell my accountant, I don't want to get audited. Whatever we got to give them, give them, give the government. That's what we do. You know, we, we obey laws. We, we should be uh, good civil uh, citizens. However, when the government asks us to do something that's against God, and it's clearly against Scripture, then we can't. And then we leave the decision to his sovereignty. We're supposed to be at peace with all men, the Bible says, but we're also not to have a, a go-along-to-get-along mentality. Oh, everybody's doing it. Do we accept that from our kids? Well, Ma, everyone's doing it. And what's the response? If everyone jumped off a cliff, would you follow them? Right? My mom used to say it to me all the time. So I had to try to re- recraft my words for the next time. So if we don't accept it from our kids, then we shouldn't do it ourselves. Every once in a while, as our kids get older, it's kind of neat because they'll, they'll pick out a little hypocrisy in our lives. And we tend to get mad because of the, the relationship. I mean, they, if it's respectful, maybe we are being hypocrites at times. But everybody's listening to that guy. Well, everybody's reading that book. Well, you know, they, they pass these laws and everybody's going along with it. Not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How many today only honor God if God honors them. It's kind of like a backward, backwards maxim where if we honor God, God will honor us. And again, it's this, this prosperity gospel, their unholy alliance with the entitlement generation where we, we operate in, in presumption. And what it does is it tries to nullify God's sovereignty. We don't tell God what to do. We pray and we leave it to his decision. And that's what they did. Some preachers today would say that Daniel's friends didn't have enough faith. They should have claimed deliverance. It's not what they did. You know, in, in Hebrews 11, uh, it's a great chapter, the heroes of faith, uh, the faith chapter. And, and it talks about all these awesome characters from the Old Testament to the New Testament who trusted God. And through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they're in this chapter as heroes of faith. Do you know a lot of them got delivered? A lot of them were successful. A lot of them that were promoted. But you know the other half died a martyr's death? So they died a martyr's death. They died. But the Bible says still that they're heroes of faith. What does that tell us? It isn't about, you know, God's one of those awesome CEOs that, you know, he doesn't care how many widgets we're making in our factories. He just wants to know that we put all of our efforts into making those widgets. This, I was economics. It's an economics term. You know, the world says, we don't care what you put into it. I need a thousand widgets a day. God says, I'll decide how many widgets you make a day. I just want to see your heart that you put into making those widgets. See, we have to understand, God doesn't operate like the world operates. Right? And and that's what we're here to do. We're here to understand them through the Scripture. So Hebrews 11 talks about those that were sawn in two, that were, you know, uh, torn to pieces by wild animals, that were martyred, that were slain, and he calls them heroes of faith. So it's really what we have to do is just trust God with the outcome. And we can be a hero of faith as well. 
But we find that these three men were great evangelists, great witnesses, and they defended their faith to the tune of 1 Peter 3.15. Whenever we're asked, when we're, wherever we're challenged about our faith, that we give an apologia in the Greek, a courtroom-style defense, that we know what we're talking about, that we know why we believe what we believe when someone asks us about our faith. I mean, they didn't have the Bible in front of them, but they knew God. They had a relationship with him. Verse 16, the three say, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Now, it's my job to go into the original, actually this part was written in Aramaic, to go into the original languages and try to find out what that actually means. It actually means they said to the king, it's really not a hard decision for us. We don't really have to give it much thought. Do we do that when someone challenges us and it comes into a conflict with God's word? I really believe that Daniel's the type of book, no matter what we're into this summer, that when we go through the book of Daniel, that it's really a heart check, that we look in the mirror and ask the question, what type of believer am I? Do I have a price? Do I really trust God? That's what we're supposed to do. What was the fiery furnace? Well, if we could put up the third image, that's actually an old ancient smelting furnace that's not used anymore. The ancients had great ability to take ore and through heat, through fire, extract elements from the ore. Was it Williamstown, New Jersey? There's like a park, and uh, they were showing us all these pieces of bog iron that you just find naturally occurring in these, in these bogs. And they would dig them up, and then they would put it in their smelting furnace, and they would get the metal out of the, out of the ore. So this was an actual thing that existed, and he said it was in the plains of Dura. So most likely you had the smelting furnace and some distance away was the 90-foot... It would be a lot easier to do it that way instead of shipping. You know what I'm saying? They had primitive shipping back then. But in these smelting furnaces, you had a place to put the ore, um, put the fuel, use the bellows to make the fire hotter, as King Nebuchadnezzar says, and watch the whole process. These, before they were called smelting furnaces, were called blast furnaces. Before they were called blast furnaces, they were called bloomeries. Just a little historical note. Well, they didn't have the ability back then. You hear all these naysayers. All right, it's my job to actually go and find these things out. But this is what you see. It would be a hole in the top. There'd be, you know, and it's quite possible when they threw them into it, maybe it was, that smelting furnace was on a lower level. I don't know, and I don't care. But I know that they were thrown into some type of fiery furnace. Verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, And the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spoke and commanded that the heat, they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. Put more fuel in there, use the bellows, pump it up with oxygen, and get that fire cooking, because he's angry. He wants that fire as hot as his head. You know what I'm saying? And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Now these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent or harsh, and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. 
Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. So verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar's he's hot, and he's ultimate authority in Babylon. And even the expression on his face changes, for maybe from favorable, oh, come on guys, let me give you a chance, you know, bow down, and they tell him basically no. How many of you have been there? Where you've, well, not literally you're here and thrown into the fiery furnace, but how many of you like really wanted to please somebody? Maybe a boss, a friend, maybe somebody who, looked, who you looked up to, and because of your conviction, you can't please them. Let me give you some advice. Don't try. Please God. And I know a lot of pleasers, and I, I know I have a few pleasers in this church, and what happens is the more you try to please, you can't please everybody. Then you develop a bitterness. So you do it reluctantly because you're a pleaser and then you get it thrown in your face and then you become bitter and then you have to go and talk to somebody because you have all these conflicting emotions inside of you just please god trust me your life will work out a whole lot better psychologically and emotionally this is my advice to you in uh, syria and iraq isis finds christian homes and you might have seen that arabic letter it's a noon in arabic and they put that letter on their door and basically, they start by saying, convert to Islam, and we'll leave you alone. If not, we'll put the noon on your door, and basically, after they're done taxing the heck out of you, they mark you for extermination. Now, are, do some in the Middle East, maybe, because they don't want to be killed, maybe hide their faith? It's possible. But others, they, it's their death. It's their death sentence. Now, we may be tempted to compromise, maybe not as dramatic as... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, maybe not as dramatic as, as the Christians over in ISIS territory, but it's all the same thing. Are we going to compromise? I found uh, this, this quote from Kyle Irwin, Ph.D., the assistant professor of sociology at Baylor University, and he writes, conformity, let me add the word compromise because they're very similar, conformity leads to positive feelings, attachments, solidarity, and these are what motivates people to continue their behavior. So we needed a PhD to tell us what we pretty much already know. And this is why I warn the congregation of feeling-centered teachings. Well, I'll just stay home and not go to church and I'll turn on Christian TV. You never know what you're going to get. Sometimes it's like a bag of mixed nuts, you know. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. And these feeling-centered teachings... Listen, some, some Sundays we go home and we feel great. Oh, that was a great sermon. Some Sundays we go home and we like, we, I can't wait to get alone because I need to pray because I feel convicted. I feel like something that was said is sticking in my craw. That might be the Holy Spirit. So church is not a place where we, you know, turning on the TV and listening to preaching, it's not supposed to be a place where we always feel good about ourselves because the heart is desperately wicked. If I feel good about myself every day, then something's wrong because I have a wicked heart. The Bible tells me that. See, we can be believers and we still continue to sin and still need to repent for those sins. So verse 20, Nebuchadnezzar's goon squad, as I call them, they bind the three men, they throw them in the furnace, but probably what happened, if you remember that picture with the openings, the fuel, the bellows, and they go, they got to get close because they don't want to miss and the guys fall down and then they got to get, get closer and throw them in again. So they, they go up and they throw the guys into the fiery furnace. Probably at that time, flames shot out. Maybe it was God. 
And the, the goons who threw them in there probably caught fire and they died. Simple explanation. I've been to fire calls, I've been to house fire calls, and let me tell you something, when you get close to a big fire, it is, it'll take your breath away. It's frightening. You know, fire is a, is a force to be reckoned with. It destroys everything in its path. So the three end up in the furnace, they fall down on the floor, based on what I'm reading, and they're not burning. <laughs> so they probably fell down and went, well, their, their hands were tied by these bindings, and they, that probably burned, from what I read. They probably fell down on the floor and were like, Shadrach, is, hey, I'm still alive. It's comfortable in here, you know what I'm saying? And in addition, probably they get up and there's a fourth person now in there. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar, in, in the original language, he says there's a fourth person like a son of the gods. Now remember, Nebuchadnezzar is a pagan polytheist. This is the best he can do. He sees something. He doesn't know what it is. He sees three forms. Now he sees a fourth form. And he's kind of freaking out about the whole thing. What did that fourth form look like that he would say something like this? Well, his appearance must have been radiant. It must have been unusual. I'm leading you here in the New Testament and the Gospel. Probably something like the transfiguration of Christ. When his glory just shone through his skin, muscles, tendons, and blood, and, and his appearance was radiant. And it, they couldn't even describe how bright it was. It was something not like a color. It's something like they had never seen. So fire is beautiful. I actually have a wood-burning stove, and I, the fire can be mesmerizing. It keeps me nice and warm in the winter. But his form outperformed the radiance of the fire. See, that's God's glory. Nothing on this earth can compare. And when we settle for stuff on the earth instead of God, we're cheating ourselves. It's cheap and it'll leave us empty. Uh, many people believe that this is a pre-incarnate form of Christ. Now some think, well, Jesus, he was the babe in the manger. But Micah 5 tells us that Christ has lived from everlasting. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the second person of the Godhead. He only took a form of a human for a certain particular purpose in the first century. But before that, he still existed. Father, Son, Holy Spirit worked in, in concert with each other. They agreed with each other, still do, always will. Jesus is, is eternal. Now, did you ever wonder what, and if it is Christ, what the four of them talked about? Probably three of them didn't say a word, and they just listened. <laughs> Good idea. I bet the Lord encouraged them. I bet he said, listen, it's not easy being in Babylon. You know, it's everywhere you turn, it's, it's depressing. It's, you know, your city's in ruins, but you guys are doing a great job, you know, and, and you need to continue to have that faith because as you continue to do that great job, there's other Jews in this Babylon that instead of conforming now and compromising are going to start following you and they're going to start being restored back to me. Again, speculation, but it must have been pretty awesome. Verse 24, Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. That word means terrified, dazed, dismayed. Here is the CEO of the whole world at the time. He's off his game. His legs were taken out from under him. He, he doesn't know. They're not dying. I told him to make it really hot. And there's somebody else in there with them. Verse 26, Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach! 
Meshach and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, you come in here if you're so confident. <laughs> no, they didn't say that. <laughs> I would have said that. Yeah, you're so bad. Come over here. Let's see what happens to you, big guy. Oh, you're all awake. That's awesome. <laughs> okay, so let me read that again. It says, Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire, and the satraps, administrators, governors, the kings, counselors, gathered together, and they saw these men on whose body the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel, again, his understanding, or his messenger, and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that anyone, any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made an ash heap, because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted, <laughs> he does a lot of promoting, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So that's what you have. They find the guys come out, their, their binding ropes or whatever are not on them anymore, their clothes weren't burned, their hair is not singed, you ever like um, go to reach for something and, and you get burned and like me, if you've got hair on your arms, they, it all curls up, it looks really weird and it smells, okay? Well, that didn't happen to them and they didn't even smell like smoke. You see, brothers and sisters, when God does a miracle in your life, he does it perfectly. He does it completely. There's not a detail that he misses. Oh, I should have done that miracle better, Gabriel. Next time, we'll, we'll learn for the next time. We do that as humans. God doesn't do that. Everything he does is perfect. So he makes a decree that nobody can talk smack about Yahweh, you know, the God of the Hebrews, the God that we worship. Now remember, the Babylonians were polytheists, and if you go into your history books, you'll find that they had many gods, and one of their gods was Isbar, who was the god of fire. Might explain why they made the thing so hot, because they were invoking Isbar to kill these three men. What Nebuchadnezzar saw was Yahweh was greater than Isbar. Now, did Nebuchadnezzar become a believer? Nope, I don't think so. When we get into chapter 4, that looks like an honest conversion. But Nebuchadnezzar didn't become the, the, the king of the known Middle East because he was dumb. He was a smart guy. He knew that I better give glory to Yahweh because Yahweh can whoop my Isbar. Okay? So, so he's, not, he's not stupid, but he's still not there yet. And that's amazing. We see that today in the world. You witness to somebody and they'll give, you, they'll give you this and they'll give you that, but they haven't completely given their heart over to serve the living God. They haven't fully committed themselves. There's kind of like stages. That was me when I was in college. And, you know, I just meant God always put these guys in my life to, to, to give it to me, to witness to me. I was strangers. And over many years, eventually, I, I was getting closer. Then one day I just gave my heart to the Lord and I never looked back. Now I have a relationship with him, which is awesome. So, the demons also believe in Jesus, but they're not saved. You've got to give your whole life to the Lord. You've got to trust him as your Lord and Savior. Like many people today, Nebuchadnezzar had to learn the hard way. 
Now, again, the three men, most likely as, as the word gets around and, and they're like, whoa, Nebuchadnezzar, people are seeing in their own provinces, what's this? What? Oh, did you hear the story about those three guys? And, was, and then they came out and they were fine. There's a fourth guy in there. So everybody, you know, listen, so they didn't have the internet. They still talked. Now, everybody knew what happened and it probably bolstered the faith of some of the Jewish people who were taken captive in the first wave who, who wanted a compromise because they just wanted to get, go along to get along and just live un, unhindered. Here's my question. What's your fiery furnace? It may not be that, but like a furnace, right? Trials purify our faith. The furnace purifies metals. The slag is taken off. The dross is taken off. And, and then, especially with gold, it just becomes more radiant and shinier and more beautiful the more it's refined. The, fire tr- the fiery trial in our lives will test our faith. It'll see what we're made of. 1 Peter 4.12. Check this out. Peter says, Beloved, do not think it's strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as if some strange thing happened to you. In other words, Peter's saying, expect it. Oh my goodness, I'm a Christian and I'm going through this trial. Expect it. God needs to purify our faith. There's nothing strange about it. Actually, the person who calls themselves a Christian and everything's great all the time and they're, and they're fleshy, there's something wrong there. There's not something wrong with you. Understand that. 1 Peter 1, 6-7, he says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, is it genuine, is it purified? Being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's an end product, folks. I've been saved over 20 years. I'm a pastor. I'm not done. It doesn't flatline for me. I still go through things because God's like, nah, Joe, uh-uh, that's got to go. I'm still working on that. Don't think that my life is, is roses all the time. Don't look at anybody and think that. They're lying to you. If God loves you, he will allow these things in our lives so that he can purify our faith because there's an end result. And that end result lasts all throughout eternity, which is a very long time. There's not enough zeros at the end of the one. It just keeps going. It's that eight that's turned kind of sideways, the infinity sign. What are you dealing with right now? I want to encourage you. But I also want to say that what you're dealing with has the ability to make you compromise your faith. Consider that. There's at least a handful of people that I know right now that this is deep. This went from a 2,600-year-old historical account to today in 2015. There's no coincidence that you're listening to it right now. If you don't know the Lord, hopefully it's stimulating you to, to desire a walk with the Lord. You know that this is the truth. If you're a Christian, you might be playing both sides of the fence. You might get away with it for a while, but God loves you too much to let it continue. Do we compromise our faith to save our skin? Do we compromise our faith to keep our standard of living? No. We trust God. We honor Him. And then we also trust Him with the consequences. My advice to you, like Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, is to choose to honor your God, your Father in heaven, and He will honor you. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation 
from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.